0: They don't have guests, they have contestants. 10 Questions with Kyle Brandt is the perfect game show and talk show hybrid that you need. Check out 10 Questions exclusively on Spotify.
1: It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel.
0: Hello and welcome to The Ringer NBA Show. It is The Answer. I'm your host, Chris Ryan. And this week, we're talking about what we have learned. NBA season is at its official halfway point as we're heading into the All-Star break. There's a couple of news things that we should probably mention. The All-Star game, the All-Star team selections were like deeply, deeply amusing. And uh, the, the Utah Jazz getting picked the last two picks was just like, pure comedy. So I'd like to thank LeBron James for commentating on that and resurrecting the the Stockton Malone NBA Jam duo as, as Mitchell and Gobert. That was really funny. And as we're going to record right now, the Pistons and Blake Griffin have agreed to a buyout. And it's already rumored that Blake Griffin may wind up on the Nets, which as a fan of another Eastern Conference team is somewhat terrifying, but I'm sure we'll get more into that. As uh, that story clarifies over the weekend, I would imagine Golden State and Miami are also apparently in in the running to to sign Griffin as he as he leaves Detroit. But today's episode is about lessons we've learned from the first half of the season. So I wanted to have Wozni Lambre from The Athletic on to talk a little bit about what we've learned from the season it has been a weird one. You know, obviously, the very short turnaround, an abbreviated season. COVID restrictions in place. So we're not having home fans in a lot of stadiums, that that's going to increasingly change over the next couple of weeks. And I think that everybody is kind of like, there's this little pregnant pause. Because I think we're trying to see what's real and what's not out there. There's a lot of really uh, interesting teams. There's a lot of really good teams. There's a lot of teams that you could see being dominant in the regular regular season, but you're not sure how they're going to work out in the playoffs. You're not going to sure, sure how Brooklyn or Milwaukee... Or Phoenix or any of these teams are really gonna translate once you get into the postseason and schemes get a little bit harder to break and teams have a little bit more tape and a little bit more time to prepare and a little bit more more focus on on their on their matchup. So I'm re- I can't wait for the second half of this season. It's been a really entertaining one so far. I talked to Waz a little bit about what we've learned. We each had a couple of lessons. So let's get into my conversation with Waz Lambert right now. All right, man. It's been a long time coming. I can't believe I've never done a pod. With with this man before, but I'm joined now by Waz, who's a staff right over at The Athletic and maybe on more podcasts than I am. Primarily, hoops <laughs> adjacent with
2: David Aldridge. But Waz, what's up, man? Thanks for doing the pie with me. I'm good, man. Thank you for having me. It's it's been a long time coming. You know varrier had me on the ringer nba show a few months back because you know me and varrier go way back and i was like yeah that's that's what's up but you know i never i've that's the only other time i've been on the ringer of course i'm a fan of what you guys do um so it's, i'm excited man it's we're gonna have a good time here so we're gonna go on like an emotional and intellectual journey
0: figure of out what course. we've learned from this first half of the season which is coming to a kind of a fizzle out with Paul George being out tonight. So this, this Clippers game probably isn't going to be that interesting. Is that tonight? Is that, That's still happening, right?
2: Yeah, I believe so. As of this recording, it's still
0: happening. <laughs> yeah, but we're talking about what we've learned over the first half of this season, some of the lessons we've learned. But before we get into that, I wanted to ask you, as somebody um, who essentially covers this stuff professionally, have you enjoyed this season? Have It's
2: been, been an entertaining season for you? I'm able to enjoy the NBA pretty much no matter what. Like, I'm probably the wrong person to ask. Yes, I'm enjoying it, but I will say, I don't think the level of play this season is at the level that it was when the bubble started, right? Like, remember, I remember watching those first few games, like, yo, these dudes are playing incredibly hard, are executing at an extremely high level. Like, this is. This is like the top level of basketball that could probably be achieved on planet Earth right now. But this season is a little bit different because, you know, and you can't blame the guys. It's a short turnaround. It's a 72 game season. Like they're treating it like the marathon that it actually is, whereas the bubble was like those seeding games, which was like eight, 10 games or whatever it was. And then, boom, you're in the playoffs, which is all these guys care about anyway.
0: Yeah, it, it was like weird, cool way versus weird, bad way. Like it was a cool, weird in the bubble, and this is, seems like a little bit more like, man, I can tell Staples has no vibes. You know what I mean? Like you yeah, can't...
2: it's 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 just so much different. It's and and again, like I think guys are conscious of the fact that there's 72 games here, you know, and the lack of a turnaround. Um, and and it's just, you know, they're playing that way. Uh, I think most teams are, and you can see it from the records, like the way teams are so bunched up. Like I looked up and Milwaukee's like 21 and 14 or something. I'm like, man, like, you know, these are supposed to be some of the most highest quality of teams. I think in a regular, a normal NBA season, these records wouldn't look this way.
0: Yeah, you're right. I, I, so why don't we get into these lessons? So I, you're, the, you're the guest. So I want you to go first. But I'm sure we'll touch on a lot of the reasons why we feel like this has been an, an odd season
2: uh, in, in these lessons. But you go first. What's your first lesson you've learned this season? Um, the Utah Jazz are neither the 2015 Hawks nor are they the 2015 Golden State Warriors. <laughs> and, and by that, I mean, they're not the cute, cuddly story that the Hawks were in 2015. If you remember, um, you know, we picked four Hawks as Eastern Conference Player of the Month. They got four All-Stars. You know, like everybody was excited about this egalitarian type of offense where everybody touches the ball and it's the beautiful game. And then they got trounced in the playoffs by LeBron. Yeah. he put him in the wood chipper <laughs> pummeled in the playoffs by LeBron and the Cavs, which, you know, that was a team that it was LeBron's first year back in Cleveland. The regular season was uneven. Remember he took the two weeks off to go to Miami, the fit in, don't fit out thing. <laughs> like nobody was impressed by that Cleveland team at all. And they steamrolled the Hawks, right? Um, So I don't think they're quite the Hawks. You know, I think they have the sort of individual firepower to not be compared to the Hawks. I don't think anybody in the Hawks was as physically as forceful and dominant as say a Donovan Mitchell, right? Like there was nobody on that Hawks team who could do what Donovan Mitchell did in the first round of last year's playoffs. Right. Um, There was nobody as physically dominant on defense as a Rudy Gobert is. Right. I just don't think the talent level is the same at all. Even if it is a cute cuddly story from a market, that's not supposed to ever do this type of stuff. I get it. But, you know, <laughs> this team is not a juggernaut either, right? Like, they're not redefining basketball in the way that that war- specific Warriors team did. They won 67 games, eventually ended up winning the championship. So that's what it, one of my first observations is the Jazz are good. I, I don't think the Clippers or the Lakers are going to have an easy time with them in the playoffs. But I don't think that this is the beginning of a would-be dynasty. no. Either. Did you see,
0: so like in this last week from the Sixers game where Mitchell gets tossed and then Gobert and Mitchell go off about the referees and how Utah's getting no respect and small market teams and everything, and then those guys getting picked last for the All-Star game, which was comedy, but was also like, yeah, but LeBron being like an NBA jam, we didn't play with Stockton and Malone, (laughs) so we will play with Donovan and Rudy now. Do you think that they could actually flip that and get a little nobody
2: believes in us going? That's 100% what's driving them this season. Like you could tell if they're doing that in the media talking about, oh, we're a small market team and nobody wants to give us. Like, I think that's exactly why KD and LeBron conspired to pick them last. It's like, yo, don't do that. You know, don't say you don't get a call because it's small market or it's this like the idea that you know, the Boston Celtics are going to get better calls than you because they're in Boston. Like, that doesn't even make sense. Or that Julius Randle is going to get more calls than Donovan Mitchell because he plays for the Knicks. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And I'm sorry, Rudy Gobert has had a history of complaining, bitching, and moaning. The man cried on camera because he didn't make an all-star team. You know, could you imagine if, like, Kendrick Lamar did an interview with Elliot Wilson after Macklemore took his Grammy and (laughs) cried. People would be like, it it doesn't even make any sense whatsoever. Then he blamed it on his mom. Like they just have a history of being just a whiny bunch. And I think people are tired of it. I think that's what that all-star thing was. There was this amazing moment
0: during that Philly-Utah game at the end when those guys started talking after the game where it was like they woke the dragon from The Hobbit up Because, like, I think Philly had forgotten about the Donovan Mitchell rookie shirt, like, definition of rookie sweatshirt. And then when that started popping off about it, when he started talking (laughs) at the end of the game, I was just like... Twitter became like irradiated. I was just like, I can't believe how angry Philadelphians just got about the Utah Jazz all over again. And it'll be interesting to see how they handle the second half of the season because I do think that there's going to be more and more scrutiny for all their losses. And there's probably going to be, all of their victories are going to be kind of like, well, that's what you're supposed to do. You want to be a dominant team. We're not going to give you guys a victory lap and a long feature just because you won three games in a row or 10 games in a row. Um, my, first, my first lesson A little bit of an offbeat one, but it's, uh, I think I'm doomed to become my dad. That's the lesson I've learned in this first half. So, this is, I have this very clear memory of growing up and watching Eagles games with my dad on Sundays. And as I got older, as he got older, I found myself basically getting way more annoyed at my dad than I did enjoy football because my dad would spend the entire game complaining about commercials. Like, he just couldn't get his mind around the sheer volume of breaks that they were taking in the game to do ads. And it wouldn't even matter what they were selling. He was just getting increasingly pissed off about the realities of modern sports on television and the amount of ads. And I was just like, Dad, shut up. Let's just watch the game. Like, it, it is what it is. But now I find myself turning into him, specifically as it relates to the instant replay reviews down the stretch of games. And I, I, I can't tell, maybe... Maybe somebody who's much younger than me is just like, that's just how basketball works now or we have instant replay and that's just, you want to get the call right and I don't really care. But it's getting into my head to the point where I was watching, I think it was a Celtics game the other night. And I realized that I missed the actual action of the game because I was too busy texting about how angry I was about all the instant replays. And I do wonder though, whether it's just me, like, are you finding that the the end of games have become choppier and it's more stultifying.
2: Yeah, I mean, but I'm against, I'm kind of against instant replay on all forms of sports. Like this idea that we have to, we have to get it right. As if this is like, you know, um, social security policy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, dude, this is freaking NBA basketball. Part of, part of why we like it is the drama. Is the human element is the you know, the interpersonal play like sometimes calls are going to go against you and we're going to have a great time debating what would have been if the call wasn't right. Oh, we got robbed. Oh, no, you didn't. You could have did this. Like that's part of the fun of watching sports. I'm sure you saw online last week, I think it was you know, the people (laughs) rose up against my man Nate Duncan and basically blamed him for the stats revolution in basketball (laughs) and stat geeks don't like hoop and all of that. And by the way, I know Nate Duncan personally, and I found it funny because there is nobody who loves the sort of like visceral, like aesthetic basketball stuff more than Nate, (laughs) which is the most ironic thing about this. But where the stat geeks have their sort of thinking has creeped into... The NBA is this idea that we have to, quote unquote, be right. And it's just it's it's just a horrible viewing experience. And I can and being in the arena, it stinks, too, where everybody's just sitting around and it sucks the juice out of every single moment. It's horrible. I'm against this to replaying baseball. Don't give me that automatic strike zone. I don't want it to and, Take it out of football. I don't need it. I, and I definitely, definitely, definitely don't need it in basketball. Outside of basically a guy stepping on a line. If if he stepped on a line, we can look at it for two seconds. All right. Other than that, get it out of my game, Chris. There's too many things too that are just like, it's actually both.
0: Like it can be a charge and a block at the same time. Like you can, yes. Lillard, when Lillard yeah. slid underneath Draymond the other night in the Blazers-Warriors game, and we were sitting there. At first, it was like, that is a block. That is a block. Like his feet were still moving. And then it was like, well, Zach Zarba had some explanation for it. But I was like, this is a close game between the Warriors and the Blazers, two of the most like electric teams to watch. It's late at night on the West Coast. People are loving life. Like Damian Lillard is going up against Steph Curry in the end of a game. And we are watching Zach Zarba watch an instant
2: replay for like four minutes. Like that's criminal. And Chris, nobody loves Zach Zarba more than me. Brooklyn Zone, Midwood <laughs> High School, we love Zach Zarba <laughs> for repping the city. But like, it's, and you know what the thing about that too that people don't realize, and, and yes, I'm an evangelist for ban the block charge. Um, We compound bad rule with another bad policy slash rule. So like, the reason why the block charge sucks is because it's impossible to freaking judge in real time with how athletically gifted these guys are. And then we compound that by asking the refs to dissect it frame by frame. It's an impossible thing to judge. Then it's like, no, here's more time to impossibly judge it. Let them get it right or wrong in the moment so we can all move on with our lives. This is, not like, it's impossible. No, and it's like, I think that they're almost, like, overrating because,
0: like, in the back of their minds, there's, like, a Sun series from 20 years ago that was, like, misrefed, And so they're like, (laughs) well, we can't get it wrong. But it's like, actually, 99% of fans get angry about it. And then they forget it. They forget the call. They'll forget the call in like a day. Nobody's going to be like, I have to go start like a a petition to get this guy banned from the NBA. Like people just like move on if you let the game flow. And I don't understand, (laughs) especially with the way the offenses work now. I'm like, these are beautiful, beautiful offenses to watch, like play flow basketball. Why are we stopping them every eight seconds to be like, you knocked the ball off this guy's hand or did it touch your fingertip at the very last second
2: before it went out? And again, part I can't stress this enough. Part of what makes sports special different than a lot of other forms of entertainment is that we're going to carry on the conversation into the bar. Not just the next day, the next month, the next year talking about, oh, such and such missed this. Oh, that call was missed. Oh, this like that's part of the drama. It's part of the conversation. What could have been, should have been, would have been. So the idea that we will parse this In a freaking regular season game in March, it's it's ridiculous. (laughs) It's it's ridiculous.
0: And I don't think this is you and me being old. This is not
2: you and me being old. We're not trying to be like it was better when we were kids. Oh, it's just a bad product. I don't think a 17-year-old who's watching the NBA is like, no, this is great. We should be getting this completely right every single time. No, nobody's (laughs) saying that. What's your second lesson? My second lesson is related to something we talked about at the top of the show, Chris, and it's that the Los Angeles Lakers are not going to try this season. They're not. <laughs> They're not going to try. They, they have proven this. Um, I think the AD thing sitting out is very precautionary. Even while he was playing, if you've been watching the Lakers at all, they have been running this game. And they've been, to me, one of the most exciting teams to watch because no matter who they play, The outcome is going to be contested at the end. They have been trying an experiment to see how many NBA games they can win while expending the least amount of energy possible. (laughs) They have been doing this all year long. And then AD went down. And Schroeder went down because of protocol. And, you know, so they lost four games in a row because those two guys are really important integral to what they do. So they lost and because they haven't been in the habit of playing pedal to the metal balls to the wall type of basketball. But the Lakers are not going to try. Remember, just I just want everybody to remember this. After they clinched home court in the bubble, the Lakers completely stunk up the joint. And everybody was like, what's wrong with the Lakers? The offense isn't good. The blah, blah, blah. What's going on with them? The defense doesn't even look elite again. Blah, 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 blah. And then the playoffs came. (laughs) And then then again, I want to remind everybody of game six against Miami. As soon as you start doubting what the Lakers are doing this year, they got to a level of defense that is just obscene. Anthony Davis was just, he was swallowing people whole. And then I watch him this season. I'm like, bro, Gabe, like, I get why you're doing it because the shorter round is so short. But, like, I remember what happened in the finals, bro. You're not playing that hard right now. Like, it's not hard for me to recall the memory <laughs> of you completely destroying Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo by yourself on the defensive end. So just keep that in mind. Like, just watching the Lakers, they're not going to try this season. I, th- I agree with you. Do you think that LeBron agrees with you? <laughs> Yo, I have so many. I have so many like conspiracy theories about LeBron. Um, because this safe this, space, this, go for it. Because this is the ring, and I know that I could do that. And I trotted this out on the Athletic NBA show. I think the reason why no Laker has tested positive is because LeBron came to them before the season and said, "Look, I have a vaccination guy. We're all getting vaccinated. We're not going to miss games. We can all go out and do whatever the hell we want. We're going to be fine." All of this protocol stuff has been for, oh, you was was contact tracing. Not one positive test. The The whole year. And these fools live in in LA? Right. Right. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So I think LeBron told them, look, this is how we're going to handle the season. We're going to ease our way in. I remember and it was like when the season first started, they said, yo, just don't judge us until March. (laughs) Which was their way of saying, look, guys, we're not coming out here and killing ourselves on behalf of the NBA's regular season product. It's not gonna happen. And so that's what I, I think LeBron told him, yo, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna ramp up towards the playoffs so that we could be ready for the Clippers, ready for the Jazz, ready for Denver, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Um, my second lesson is it's Embiid. That's pretty much the lesson. Like it going into this season, I was I'm a I'm a really, really big Ben Simmons guy. And I think somewhat to keep it provocative, but also because like it's just a style of play that I really like. I think that I would make the argument that while and B was clearly like a more valuable and better player, that Ben Simmons presented um, a more ex- like exciting to me version of basketball. Like Ben Simmons running the break with shooters around him. Not that I wanted him to be traded by any means, but I thought you could make the argument that they could be like co-leaders of that team, co-alphas, that you could have like a big two there. And then as Doc has kind of rolled this team out this season and as Embiid has had the season that he's had, which is, uh, I think, arguably now he's in pole position for MVP, uh, it's just abundantly clear that like he has found the balance and that it is Embiid's team, that it is like running everything through him, allowing him to pass out of doubles, allowing him to take three pointers if he wants to, allowing him to kind of just operate the way he wants to operate. And watching Simmons just be like, I'm going to play defense on whoever the other team's best perimeter player is. And then I'm going to run the break. And then on the half court, I'm trying, trying not to fuck up. That's like that's what his job is. And it seems like it's really working. So I apologize for any moments that I spent participating in the Embiid Simmons debate. The
2: debate is over. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've been somewhat of an opposite guy. I've been off of Simmons basically... Since year two, when it was abundantly clear, like, he is who he's going to be, right? And that is a guy who's never going to be a one-on-one force in postseason basketball. He's never going to be the guy who you give the ball to and say, beat the guy in front of you. And playoff after playoff. We watched the regular season where beautiful game, blah, 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 you know, passing the ball around, ball movement, yada, yada, yada. Playoff after playoff, we watch the game devolve into, can you beat the guy in front of you? Can you force the other team to draw two? Can you puncture the defense? Can you do these things that win games in the playoffs? And Simmons has just demonstrated he's never going to be that guy. That being said, I don't think the Sixers ever sort of optimized his skills in the sense that surrounded him and Embiid with shooters. And just see what'll happen until this year. Maury gets in and He's like, you know what we're going to do? Get guys that can shoot to play (laughs) next to these dudes? Like, no brainer, you know? So I think, yes, no, he's never going to be that number one guy. I think the best version of him is a sort of semi-souped up version of Draymond Green, which, as we've seen in the playoffs, is a very valuable player, right? A very you know, important player, of winning player, you know, if he, if he becomes a guy who understands like, I'm a dirty work guy, I'm a lunch pail guy. Um, Yes, I get out in the break and I run, but what I do is these little things and I do them to the, to the umpteenth power because I'm so physically gifted. He becomes a really, really interesting player. I think he was miscast as this sort of Next LeBron or next next Magic, yeah, whatever. Or Magic, he's miscast as this you know insane perimeter threat. But I think you know, like you said, the pecking order is clear because Joel Embiid cannot be stopped by one man, right? And that's who's always going to be the most important person on the team.
1: This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm, and now that I do have State Farm, it is.
0: just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20 for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. What's your, what's your next lesson?
2: All right, my next lesson, <laughs> and, and a lot of people not gonna wanna hear this, man, but this is just how I feel. Zion Williamson has demonstrated that he's a lot closer to Luca than he is the rest of the young rising star up-and-coming guys. Um, Meaning, he is going to be an MVP, shoulder-the-burden type of player. You just put me on the court, our offense is going to generate quality looks no matter what type of player. And physically, I think he's going to... Right now, obviously, he's nobody's Bill Russell. We mm-hmm. can admit that. Sure. But I think physically, once he gets his wind he's going to become more than capable as a defender. And again, I'm talking about guys like Trey TL, John Morant, Jason Tatum. I'm talking about all-stars, right? Like these guys are great NBA players, but I think Zion has showed you, especially in the past few weeks where Stan has just been like, why am I trying to make this guy center when he's just Shaq on the perimeter? Right? Like, why don't you just put the ball in this man's hand and allow him to Flash's actual playmaking ability, Flash's decision-making skills, like, and still be physically just overpowering, right? And I think Zion is a lot closer to the Luka level than he is the rest of the young guys, whether it be his own teammate, B.I. And like I said, Tatum, Trey T.L., Ja Morantz, or any of those younger cats, Bam Adebayo, these rising stars, Zion is just, he's in another class to me. The it's good that you did this after the Sixers thing because I think there is a burgeoning
0: B.I. Zion like discussion about whether those guys fit. But I think, in much the same way, yeah, they fit, you just have to surround them with the right guys. Like, that was the Sixers conversation. I think that there's some decent pieces around those dudes. Like, I've been really impressed with Lonzo this season. I'm curious what you think that the Pelicans need to start doing personnel wise and whether it's Something that's a uh like a a change for right now or a change that's
2: gonna work maybe two seasons down the line, I mean the obvious answer is spacing is shooting um I don't like to me, I don't understand why you go out of your way to get Stephen Adams in there when people like Al Horford and miles Turner were on the were on the board too this summer. I just I love Griff. I would love to have a conversation with him and understand the thinking of putting this guy who only lives in the paint next to Zion Williamson where that's where he's optimally used is attacking that area of the court. I'll never understand that. I think they just got to put shooting around them. Do you? I mean, is
0: that just a culture? Is that like a locker room thing? Like you get Adams in and Adams is just like every night we, we, go, we do battle and I'm going to show you how. Like, I, I mean, maybe that's an easy read. I have no idea. But it's like with JJ and Adams and those guys, I'm like, I'm not really sure what they're doing for you. I
2: don't know. I struggled to understand the moves myself and, you know, the idea that you would play a front court of Adams, B.I. and Zion is just anathema to NBA basketball as it's played right now. You know, I don't know if they thought maybe, you know, we had the goose to defense or I'm not sure what the thinking was, but I think that's a suboptimal usage of your resources when it comes to surrounding your two young guys who are supposed to be, you know, the most important people in the franchise, right? Um, And maybe it's a short-term thing. Maybe it's just like, whatever, we're developing Zion in this certain type of way. And when Zion learns how to play in a constricted court, he's gonna be unstoppable when he finally gets a more space court, who knows? Um, But yeah, I would like to see them optimize their lineups for Zion more because as you've seen, this guy gets the ball going downhill. It's, it's it's you're toast. You're toast. I'm getting to my left hand every time. I'm Once I get my shoulder even half an inch past you, you're you're done. You can't do anything with me. And if you try to send too much help, I'm a more than willing passer. I, like the guy is just remarkable for his young age. And he didn't even have a rookie season. You know, he got hurt. Then the season got killed. Then he yeah, comes back to restriction. Yeah, yeah. It's like he didn't even have a rookie season, and look what he's already doing. This guy is this guy's a limit for this kid. Um, my next lesson
0: is that it turns out tanking is an art, and <laughs> uh, I, I've been fascinated by some of the worst teams in the league this year. I, I think some some of this is beyond anyone's control, like. The way Minnesota has slid off a cliff is like almost like an early cure song in like how depressing it is. (laughs) But like I I do remember like when tanking obviously kind of got popularized with the Sixers, it was agonizing. Like I, I can't I can't say like that I watched a lot of those early bad 13, 15 win Sixers teams. But there was definitely a feeling like it may or may not work, but there is a plan. You know, like there is a plan and with the worst teams in the league this year. So whether it's a Minnesota or increasingly a Cleveland or even sadly a Sacramento who sort of have the roster that you tank for already and are in fact still bad. I just feel like there is a lack of long-term thinking, which is understandable. Like job security is what it is in the NBA. And sometimes owners get a little bit impatient, like as we're seeing within Atlanta, where uh, they're obviously they have they have playoff dreams with with signing a bunch of veterans and now they're gonna have Nate McMillan try and coach this team into probably a, a playing game if, if he can. But I do think that we've sort of seen how hard it is to actually pull off a tank and in places like Cleveland and places like Minnesota and places like SAC. And in places like Atlanta, like the mixed results can actually have like long-term detrimental effects if you don't pull it off right. If you don't lose with intent and then try to build the right way. If you kind of have these false starts, if you kind of have, you know, the going all in for D'Angelo Russell, now being kind of like up against it and having a group of young players who who are now on their their second coach, but like second front office administration with an ownership that's uncertain in Minnesota. It's just a really interesting situation. I wonder whether or not, I wonder whether we'll ever see a full-scale teardown like we did in Philly again because I don't know if people have the stomach for it.
2: Yeah, and I think the the hardest part about the tank that, you know, the hanky files never want to acknowledge. And I think, you know, Philly got kind of lucky in that it was Joel Embiid who's kind of like, his makeup is a lot different than a lot of cats. and 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 it wasn't, Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns in the sense that you're the you're the person who we tanked for. So we're constantly patting you on your ass and telling you how great you are just because you said dad-dad one time. Right. And the culture that that breeds, it's it's not conducive to when you want to turn the corner, which is what we're seeing in Minnesota. And I'm glad you said the word. It's an art form because the team that you didn't mention that that made me think of was Detroit. Yeah. yeah <laughs> like yeah. they went out and they spent all this money on Jerry and Grant to allow him to be, you know, Kobe <laughs> on their team. <laughs> and they spent all this money on Plumlee and all of us, you know, sort of pseudo sharp NBA onlookers were like, what in the hell are the Pistons doing? And they were like, you know what? We are tanking, but we're bringing in quality players, too. And, you know, Killian Hayes, he's not going to be our savior when he comes in from day one. There's going to be guys on the roster who are clearly and obviously better than him. And we're still not going to win, but he's still there's still going to be this sort of competitive idea to our makeup in our team. What we're doing here every day is not in service of losing. We're trying to win but we're going to lose in the process. Right. And so I, I think there is an art to how you sort of finesse. And maneuver it. I, like, I think even in Memphis, who's like, they never tanked. They might have had a season where they was like, all right, we're going to lose this year. But they were never a tanking organization. And you see how competitive those cats were without John ja Moran without Jaron Jackson, the third. And it's like, they're breeding a very hyper-competitive culture out there. And they didn't spend five years saying the whole point of this operation is for ping pong balls and odds, right? I think people, to your point, I think teams are smarter about, and I hate the culture word, but it does matter. Like when Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler was right, by the way, about Minnesota. When he did all of that, when he staged the coup and did the, um, you know, the interview with Rachel Nichols at the same time and he did all like he was right about those kids. He was right about Wiggins. He was right about Towns. He beat the starters with the bench kids in the in the practice in the scrimmage. Yeah. Just to, to prove a point. Exactly. He was right about ownership and how they handle things. He was, he was right, you know. And so and I think that's about culture and the expectations that you set for your young guys.
0: It's funny, we don't talk about it. I didn't mention Oklahoma because I have like the utmost confidence that Oklahoma knows what they're doing. Because Oklahoma has weathered more stones storms than most pro sports teams have in the last decade. In terms of like seeing turnover and their superstars. And they can be major players at the next like two to three trade deadlines if they want to. And also have all of this draft capital, which... Could it come come pay off like in a huge way if they get paid, like it's nuts like they, they're right back in it if they if they get a couple of things to break their way. What's your next lesson?
2: My next lesson and my final lesson, and I and I would want anybody who's listening to this podcast to understand this when they are watching the NBA, and that's that the NBA is a capitalistic endeavor first and foremost, and I say that as a lesson learned, not just from the past season, but just from the past year, the whole operation in the bubble was to recoup money. Um, the short turnaround this season is like, yo, you know what? We want to get our next season. This is season is going to be the sacrificial lamb. So that next season is back on our normal NBA schedule. We know there's going to be bumps and bruises. We know the COVID thing isn't going to be perfect, but we got to get our financials in order. And sorry, um Miami. Sorry LA. Yes, you just played in October. We're coming back in December cuz we got to get this paper straight. The All-Star game in T- in in um Atlanta this year. There's no other reason to play it but for the fact that the NBA has decided, along with their business partners in Turner, like, yo, this is one of our most lucrative weekends of the year. We budget around this damn weekend and how much money we make. We need these games. We need these events. We need this TV product. And so I just want everybody to understand that, like, the only reason that the NBA exists, meaning a partnership between the Players Association and the owners in the league office, is because they make money together. That's not to say LeBron and KD wouldn't be somewhere hooping if the NBA didn't exist. But the reason this product exists as it does is to make money. And that gets complicated with sports because it's not like buying a car, right? Where we all understand that this is a purely a transactional situation that's happening right now. This sports is selling you a little bit more than that. They're selling you nostalgia. They're selling you pride in your city, your town, you know, your connection with your dad or your mom or whoever, right? Like they're selling you all of this other sort of, touchy-feely stuff but please remember that this is business (laughs) do you think that the
0: nba has had a little bit more for the fans of the league has had a little bit more of a rude awakening because there was or is this perception that it's the progressive league that it's that it's the the league that gets it that it's the league that does things the right
2: way It's funny when I when I hear those words progressive and the NBA, because I just explained to you that, like, this is a freaking business enterprise. Right. Like I'm old enough to remember when um, Jason Collins came out Mm -hmm. and it was a big deal that players didn't treat him like he had cooties. The most progressive league in the world, we made it like it was a huge deal that they treated Jason Collins like a goddamn human being. And so I always think these conversations are overblown because a bunch of black dudes said that it's messed up when the police beat the heads in of black people for no reason. This makes them the most you know, moralistic, altruistic business enterprise ever. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. I think people conveniently do that when they want to crush the league that they already want to crush for being, you know, uh, hypocritical. Um, But it's funny, like when I watch people crush the NBA for China, and I'm like, American business has been doing business in China for 35 years now. Now the NBA does it, and somehow this it's messed up? Like, are people going to stop buying shit from Walmart because they make everything in China? Are people going to throw their iPhones in the truck? What are we even talking about here? The NBA is the only business entity not allowed to do business in China. I think that, that, that what planet? this, that
0: this all started for me. Cause like when I was, when we were growing up and it was Stern, we were not under any like, this is the progressive league no. <laughs> illusions, no. you know what I mean? But when no. you had, I think it was Silver and I think it was the Sterling situation, which to your point, everybody knew who Donald Sterling was. This was just a, a tape that got leaked to TMZ. That's what happened. And also, then it that became, was a business decision. Yeah, of course it was. Yeah. And it worked out quite well for the NBA with Steve Ballmer cutting that check. Exactly. And it worked out quite and well for the
2: other owners. Yeah. And the positive PR and all of that stuff. But like, if we really want to get busy, we could talk about some of these other owners, man. Right. <laughs> like, right. I
0: mean, come on. Just dude. because like, it's not Goodell who is like, I'm not even like acknowledging that COVID is real. You know, I mean, like, <laughs> not that he didn't, but like they were just like, You're playing. How, how about that? This is what Facts. we're doing. Facts. Um, my last, my last uh, lesson for this year is a little bit nebulous, but I wanted to see what you thought of this. And this is, um, the lesson is, the bill comes due for everybody eventually. And I was thinking about this especially with Giannis, who is having not quite statistically the same season that he had um, in his previous two MVP campaigns, but is certainly has not had like a huge fall off. He's not like I had a precipitous fall off the bucks. Like we mentioned are not like annihilating every team and winning by 25. And Giannis is only playing like 31 minutes a game. Cause they're already up in the fourth quarter, but they're playing well and they'll make the playoffs and they'll probably make some noise in the playoffs. But I definitely get this sense from talking to people from reading stuff that the NBA like populace is either 50% like this is what we expect from Giannis. And then there's another group that's like, Giannis needs to show me something else now. You know what <laughs> I mean? And I completely get it. Like, I mean, you know, th- those, those playoff exits are pretty disappointing. And they're disappointing in a way that feel a little bit different than in past times. Like you've seen stars have to go through some other team, through some sort of obstacle in the playoffs to really jump up to the next level. Like there seems to be something about Milwaukee's style of play that just breaks in the playoffs. And I think that they're efforting to change that and a lot running a lot of stuff through Middleton and trying to mix it up a little bit. But I've been fascinated to see um the honeymoon end this abruptly for Giannis after these two MVP seasons. And I think that you're seeing that a little bit with Luca in the beginning of the season. I even, we even saw it a little bit with Steph being like, well, Steph can't carry a team. You know, and I, I just think it's maybe it's a product of all of us being on our phones for a year in our apartments and not really like getting a lot of time outdoors, but it does seem like our attention span and our patience level with superstars has
2: like dropped a little bit and we're, we're looking for a little bit results from folks. But it's, it's the natural cycle of things, right? Like this is aside from bird and magic who basically won out the gate, Right. Like Magic literally won in his rookie season right. and won a freaking finals MVP. Um, this has always been the cycle. You can say it with Jordan, where he comes into league. He ascends to being clearly the best player. Then it's like he's too selfish to win. God doesn't pass enough. You can never win a championship with a guy who leads the league in scoring. Yada, yada, yada. Then he proves himself. We saw it with LeBron. We saw it with Shaq. We saw like we always do this. We love it on the ascent. And then we get tired of it like you're not so cute anymore. You know, you've kind of grown a beard and a mustache. You Go get a job now, right? And so that's what we do to superstars. That's that's what we do. We do it all the time. And Giannis, I knew it was coming I, because I remember, remember Giannis surprised us. He wasn't some top pick. He's from a foreign country. He was this really skinny kid. And then all of a sudden he's becoming this freak of nature. And I remember when I used to tweet after every single 25 and 15 game, you know, in his second or third year, I'd tweet Giannis Jordan. Right, like, Because it was just fun. It was this new thing. It was right. fresh that I didn't know I was going to be getting to be excited about. And then, you know, you lose that first time to Toronto in a way that was questionable. And we're like, you know what? We're giving you all. And then you come back even stronger the next year and you're winning at a crazy 60-something win rate and you're winning your second MVP. And then you get smoked by the heat? Yeah. Down 3 Yeah. Nah. You're not cute anymore. <laughs> it's not cute anymore. So he's just... We went through it with LeBron, right? Like we thought the Spurs finally getting swept was cute. Then you lose to Boston. Then you lose to the um to the Magic. Then you lose to Boston again. Then you you know you crap the bed against Dallas, and it's like, hold on now, yeah. Are you a fraud? Did we put all this love and faith in you for no reason? <laughs> then he proves himself, and we get the redemption story, and you know that's that's the cycle, man. It's the vicious cycle that we go through in this game.
0: It does feel though that specifically for the unicorn generation the the party's over a little bit like for yeah. t- for towns presingus obviously like uh has off court stuff plus the knees the lower leg injuries or whatever but like i do feel like that that group of guys that everybody was just like i'm just delighted that i can see a 7 footer who shoots threes and passes like right, that and right. now it's like but you guys you guys going to win ever like <laughs> what's up what's up towns like are you going to actually put some
2: some w's up yeah for sure. And, and you know, and and I watched that Britney Spears New York Times joint the other day, and it's not dissimilar, honestly. <laughs> it's the same cycle. It's the same, like, we meet this person, we get excited about them, they conquer the world, and they're getting all-star teams, and they're getting acknowledged, and they're getting this, and they're getting money, they're signing maxes, they're doing this. And then eventually, we get tired of it. We yeah. want to see you do something else, and then we want to see the resurrection again. That's right. Wise, thank you so much for joining me today, man. Thank you for having me, man. This was incredible. We'll have to do it again. Yes, sir.
0: Thanks so much to Waz. Thank you so much for listening to The Answer. This so far this season. It's been really a lot of fun doing it. Stay, stay tuned to The Ringer NBA Show. We obviously have the full slate of shows, real ones, uh, group chat. Ringer NBA University is every other week. We got The Answer on Fridays. And make sure you're listening to The Mismatch and make sure you're listening to Bill Simmons, who's uh, an important podcaster uh, for a lot of people. He often has NBA content on his feed. So check that out. And we'll be back next Friday.